Lord, our prayer to you, God, this morning is that we may obey your call to make disciples of God. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us that oftentimes we've been afraid to share the gospel or we've been too selfish with our times and wanted to live our lives our own way. Or we are afraid of rejection, Lord, because we think too highly of ourselves, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to encourage to speak the truth in love and to speak the words of your gospel to the people who are lost and who are in need, Lord. As your word says, how would anyone hear if no one goes? And how would anyone listen? So help us to be the bearers of the good news as you've called us to do in according to your word. Lord, we bring before you Jean, Lord. We pray that, you would that she would continue to taste of your perfect love as she goes on to this week, Lord. We pray for her husband Stanley and for her sons. Uh, pray for her husband Sanjay and for her son Stanley. We pray, Lord, that they would come to know that Christ is the promise who gives them peace to those who believe, O oh Lord. And I pray that they would continue and that they would know and taste of his goodness of the promise of peace, Lord. We thank you for placing us in Mira Bhaindar and we thank you for putting us here in India and in Maharashtra, Lord. We thank you for those who have set as authorities of the state and of the country. We bring before you Jayant Patel, who is the Cabinet Minister of the Water Resources in Maharashtra, Lord. We know, God, that it is you who set in power kings and authorities, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would give him wisdom, that he would, uh, that he would have the wisdom to use the water distribution evenly in Maharashtra, especially, Lord, during the summers when places which go through drought, Lord. And I pray that he would uh, care for the needs of those who are in need, Lord. Lord, we thank you for churches in our country which are healthy. And we want to thank you, Lord, that we can partner with them, learn from them, be encouraged by their ministry, Lord. We thank you for cross-culture church, Lord. We thank you for the elders, Sam, Daniel, and Alpan Patro, Lord. We thank you for the work that they do in Mysore. We thank you for placing them and how they've been influential and in even encouraging me and the work here in our church, Lord. And we want to thank you of how you use providentially and sovereignly your people to encourage one another, Lord. Lord, we pray that even as we come to you to learn about the Great Commission from your word, I pray that you would help us to hold on to this truth and be faithful in sharing this truth to this perishing generation. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would know that you are the only one who converts sinners into saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we'll be looking at evangelism and conversion. Now these are at times controversial subjects, at times are things misunderstood, at times they are things which are not known properly. But this is something that we need to understand and all of us as a church are called to evangelize. So we need to understand the Great Commission is given to all Christians, therefore we need to understand these truths. The definition of evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. The definition of evangelism is teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. Now, just note that it, it may be a mouthful of a definition. There are a few words that I want you to take from it. Evangelism is teaching, which means heralding or proclaiming or preaching. But it's not of anything, it's the heralding and preaching of the gospel. That is the message of God that leads us to salvation. 
the first topic that we touched was what is the gospel. So it is the heralding of that gospel that we saw about. But it's not just an heralding. It's an heralding with an aim or a desire or a goal in mind. And the goal is to persuade people or to convince people. Not to manipulate, not to convert, but to persuade people. And so I've taken both of these together because both of them go hand in glove, evangelism and conversion. If you misunderstand one or the other, you'll have problems. And therefore, through church history and even now, Christians face problems because it's often misunderstood. Notice the definition doesn't require any immediate outward response. There is no thing about walking an aisle or, you know, in the definition that I gave about evangelism or raising your hand or repeat this prayer after me or nothing such as these things that you often see in places. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the gospel with an aim to persuade people so that they may be saved. That is true evangelism. In other words, we need to understand that we are the bearers of the news and we need to be faithful to the message that God has given us. So we look at these three points, teaching, aim, and persuade. I will just go over the gospel because we already know what that is because it was the first point. Nevertheless, I will preach what the gospel is since God has called us to preach the gospel. So let's look at teaching. Teaching with an aim to persuade. And then finally at the end, we look at conversion. So the first thing is teaching. Now, oftentimes when you think of teaching, you might just think of preaching from the pulpit, right? But I think this is a good thing for all of us. It's a relief that all of us can teach, but in different ways. Again, when oftentimes when people read the Bible, when they take a blanket statement as that as teaching, they misunderstand what is teaching. And so, uh, in many churches, you'd have women elders or pastors who teach, which is not a biblical thing, or not even any random person from the church coming up and teaching, which is not a biblical thing. But all of us are called to teach the gospel to the lost. That is a call for everyone. Paul, when he's talking in 1 Timothy 2, verse 7, it's there on the screen, he's talking of his office as that of a teaching function. He says, for this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. In other words, and then he goes on to say, a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and the truth. So he was called to preach and to teach the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And therefore you see that all preaching has to do with the heralding of the gospel. Any sermon that you hear without any gospel content in it is just head knowledge without any working of the heart. Even if they're only Christians, they need the gospel. They need to know why they were saved, how they are saved. Christians need to be reminded of the good news every Sunday. So know that this is not only for preachers, this is for all of us to teach the gospel. But it's in different ways. We do it outside. All of us are supposed to do it outside. 
but here on the on the pulpit of course god has asked only elders to do it many times i might preach a sermon over here and people might go back home and then someone might ask what did you think about today's sermon i don't know if you'll have such conversations but such conversations can lead to the gospel and can make a more efficient or more better way for you to explain and preach the gospel to people because you can discuss it you can share the gospel and you can discuss it it's a good thing after church oftentimes we even discuss what did you think about today's sermon what in the sermon touched you rather than discussing about covid and the what the where the government is failing we can discuss about the truths of scripture we are called to do that so that is what we have to do first is to teach all of us are called to teach in different measures in different spheres and so when it comes to the great commission all of us are called to teach the second thing i said is an aim to persuade that reminds us that it's not just mere data transfer or just merely saying some few things evangelism is teaching but with an aim and the aim is to persuade now uh peter says in 1 peter 3:15 he's saying being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect so it's an aim which is carried out with gentleness and respect not with a pompous attitude not with a attitude that i am the only righteous person alive that's not the aim in how you share the gospel it is with an aim with gentleness so that you can persuade people to come to the knowledge of the truth remember i said persuade not convert convert so that we we come to the third point persuade i said again persuade not convert conversion is the act of the holy spirit alone many people keep talking about christians converting if it misunderstood because many christians are trying to convert christians try to convert when we try to put a hook to it for example if i ask you to walk up here or lift your hand or say a prayer i'm doing more than scriptures ask me to do and therefore in a way i'm trying to see a result as quick as i can to say that i have made something happen but we do not see that in scripture when the preaching happened we'll go through acts chapter 2 later and we'll see properly how all of this is done in scripture uh paul says that in 2 corinthians 5:11 therefore knowing the fear of the lord we persuade others but what we are known to god and i hope is known also to your conscience basically when paul is saying is that when we know the fear of the lord and the truths of the scripture we persuade people to that truth as well and so this persuading is a good thing it's a persuading because we are guarding them from death from eternal death it's a persuading which is not a manipulation so therefore like i said we are not doing anything anything extra but we are just calling people to repentance and oftentimes that is what we are to do and many times people do not do that or across scripture if you look at it you see that uh it is the holy spirit who does the conversion that realm of work it is his which comes us brings us to the next point what is conversion 
Conversion is a U-turn in a life of a person. Conversion is not a change of name. It's not a change in your birth certificate. It is, conversion doesn't, you are not, no, there's no one born as a Christian. That's not a biblical understanding. All of us are born as sinners and everyone needs salvation. And so conversion is a change of heart that takes place. No man can change another man's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. It is a change from self-rule to submitting to the rule of only one man and one God. That is the man Christ Jesus and God above. It is a change of letting go of myself and giving all my life to someone else. And that is God. That is true conversion. It's a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. No one can produce that kind of food. We can, all of us can produce a habit to follow. You can set a few rules and tell these are the rules that you need to do if you have to be a Christian. Anyone can go follow rules. Most religious systems are made by rules. You have rules that are set and people are to follow that. That is how most religious systems are set. Christianity is not only about rules. The reason we do rules is because of something God has done in our hearts. That is why we obey his commands. We are not saved by the obedience of the commands. We obey the commands because we are saved. And therefore, true conversion means we are obedient to the rule of God because he has changed our heart. That is genuine faith. And so, the gospel message answers four big questions. That brings us to the gospel, right? Who is God? Why are we in such a mess? What did Christ do? How can we get back to God? Remember, I said that's the aim to persuade, how to get back to God. If you do not do that, you're just basically just giving information. In short, it summarizes God, man, Christ's response. I've done this before. Now, for many of us, we know what this means. But this is what we should share with people if we are called to share with people. Now, the work of a cross is something that we already sang about even in the songs that we sang. It is that Christ Jesus came for a people who are to be holy. God made man. He made man to be holy, but man, because of his selfishness, fell in sin. All of us fell in sin because of our selfishness, because of the fall of the first man, Adam. All of us have fallen in sin. There is no one righteous. All of us are sinful. All of us need to be saved. That is the great need. To be saved from what? From our own sins and from the wrath that is to come. There's one day when all of us will stand before God when his righteous holy wrath would be fallen on people. And the only way you can be saved is by trusting on Jesus Christ. And if you trust in Jesus, if you repent, and if you turn from your sins, and if you come to him for hope, and if you look to him alone, then alone will you be saved. If we do not turn to him, if we do not come to him, but if you choose to say, maybe you can call yourself a Christian, but live by and even follow all the rules like the Pharisees did. But if there is no heart change, 
if there is no desire in your heart to love God, if there is no desire to put to death sin, then there is no true conversion. There's just an outward change, but no inward change. The Holy Spirit, when he changes the heart, gives us new desires. And so if you do not know Christ here, I would pray and ask you and urge you that you should repent and come to Christ. That could be you who never know him or never heard of him. It could be you who heard him all your life, but have only followed him. And in your heart, there is no true desire to him. You, would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit that he would give you that desire, that you may repent and come to him. And here's a good news. Everyone who does repent, who does come to him, there is hope for him. The gospel call is given freely to all who do repent and come to him. And so I would encourage you to repent and to come to him because he alone is your hope. He alone is your strength. Now I want us to go to Acts chapter 2. And if you've read, if you go back home, you can read Acts chapter 2 verses 14 to 47. It's a huge uh, portion, Acts chapter 2. Verses 14 to 7, uh, 47. For those of us who are in the Bible study, this might be like a going through it again. Uh, but if you can look at it, we can just see all these things that we just spoke about. The gospel call, evangelism, the aim to persuade, conversion, and all of these things that we just spoke about. If you look at Acts, Acts chapter 2, Verse 29 to 36, it's on your screen. I'll just read it out first. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set out one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. This is Peter giving the preaching, basically preaching and persuading people uh, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, just before Pentecost. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God had made both Lord and Christ this Jesus that you have crucified. Basically, here he is talking, before that, he speaks about uh, from Joel, and he says, Now is this time where this is happening. And then here he quotes the Psalms, and he's saying, This is the Jesus that whom you crucified. And so he's talking about Jesus' death, their, their sinfulness. And so he's pointing them to that. This is, the, in another way, he's kind of presenting the gospel. In verse 37, you see something that happens to their hearts. 
And you see that there on the screen. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. That, brothers and sisters, is conversion. The cutting of the heart is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is, in other words, and sometimes called as the inward call. The gospel call is for all. The inward call is what the Holy Spirit does for God's elect. The work of the church, the mission of the church, is evangelism. We, see that, we saw that in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, there the word again, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of age. Over here you see the command to go, not to settle down, to go and to make disciples. Make disciples doing what? Preaching the gospel with an aim so that they would be saved. And that job, when they are saved, is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is conversion. Then what do you do? You teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And you baptize them. All these are called calling of the church. It's a mission of the church. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, you see that it is... The person receives the word, and then after receiving the word, they were baptized and they were added to the church. And then in verse 42, you see that they devoted themselves to their preaching, or they started observing all that was commanded. They devoted them to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is all that is commanded from Christ, in other words, and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. You'd see this repeatedly in the New Testament, that you see the order where you're, the preaching of the gospel, the change of heart that happens by the Holy Spirit, the repentance coming to the truth, and then after that happens baptizing, and after that them being added to the church, becoming members, and then after that breaking of bread. You see that order here, and you'll see that order as you see Go through all of Acts, you see that order follow. A person is given the gospel, if he repents, and if they repent, if they change, if there's true repentance, then they are given baptism, only then they are added to the church, and then afterwards, only after baptism follows them being part of the graces of the covenant, that is the breaking of bread and of prayers. And so this is the mission of the church. Social justice is not the mission of the church. Christians as individuals can go and do social work, but the main work of the church is Matthew 28, what we saw. That is the main mission of the church. People can misunderstand evangelism and conversion, and when you misunderstand these two things, you have error. So we need to understand that these two things are different and they work together and both of them must happen. Sometimes some people may say that we don't want to make converts, we want to make only disciples. A person cannot be a disciple if he's not converted. The work of conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's an inward work 
And that's why it's called the inward call. It is the calling of the heart or the cutting of the heart that the Holy Spirit does, like we saw in the text. The outward call is for everyone. But the cutting of the heart happens to only few. As we read across Acts later, actually if you go to chapter 4 and 5, you see that many of them reject the gospel. And these guys face persecution. Some of them believe, some of them do not believe. So the Holy Spirit, in other words, chooses God's elect and changes their heart. But that is the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not know who the elect are. We do not know who God is going to change hearts. Our work, our mission is to preach the gospel to all. So as Christians, we need to understand a few things about evangelism. What is our call? Our call is to preach the gospel with an aim to persuade that they may change. Not manipulate. Remember, that's what I said. Manipulation is adding anything extra to then what scripture says. But with an aim to persuade so that they may change. If we do not persuade, persuading is where Paul is calling them there. I'm sorry, Peter is saying repent. The calling to repentance is the persuading of the heart. So we should call people to repentance so that they may change. But all of this should be understood properly. And I think oftentimes Christians face persecution because of these misunderstandings. In the past, in church history, when people have misunderstood it, they've sat back and said, well, God is sovereign. He will save people and he will save the elect. Therefore, I don't need to go and share the gospel. So that's the error of the past. And the church forgot their mission. The error today is that we want to play God and therefore we want to change hearts of people. So we try to do all that we can to convert people and therefore sometimes, oftentimes Christians get a bad rep because of these things that they do. And so oftentimes we try to sugarcoat the gospel or try to repackage it and do all of these things. In closing, I want us to say that we are just errand boys. Our work is to take the gospel and to present it clearly and with an aim, lovingly, hoping that people may change. Without frustration, we need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand our work as well. I think in closing, I want to leave us with 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5, where Paul speaks of this. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to you nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing amongst you to be known except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. That does not mean by just rattling anything that comes out of your mouth. That does not mean being brash with the message. Does not mean that we can be loose with the gospel. It does not mean that we can be not prepared in knowing how to share the gospel, but at the same time, not the other extreme, so not two extremes. It is different if you yourself have weaknesses in you. So here Paul says, my speech, my message is not plausible words of wisdom. In one sense, it's not plausible words of wisdom because the gospel is foolishness to the perishing world. 
But then he says, but it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. What power is he talking about? The power of the Holy Spirit when he cuts the heart and convicts men. Not the power of people falling down or other weird kind of stuff or calling people in front, not those kind of power, but the power of the heart that changes which the Holy Spirit does. And I think as we think about evangelism, as simple as it is, we complicate it too many times because we think of all these other things. If we put them in the right category, if we do our work, if we are faithful in presenting the gospel, and if we trust, if we do our part, the Holy Spirit will do his part. His part is conversion. Our part is heralding the gospel. At times we may be afraid. At times we may not have the power. At times we may be self-conscious because of our pride. We might think, what would they think of me? And therefore, oftentimes, we will not share the gospel. But if we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, who gives us the power even to share the gospel, we know that he can change the hearts of people whom he wants to change. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you knowing that you are a God who is in control. <clears throat> Even as we understand from your word, Lord, I pray that you would be, help us to be faithful to herald the good news of the gospel, Lord. Help us to know that what is our role as a church and as individuals and as Christians, Lord. Help us to be faithful to the preaching of your word. Help us not to get into the realm of trying to do anything else more than that, but help us also not to do less than that. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to refrain from the preaching of the truth of your gospel. I pray that you would give us boldness to preach the truths of your word. And I pray that you would use your word to awaken dead hearts when we preach it, Lord. And we pray, God, that we would trust you to know that you know how to do what you know how to do even as you did it in us ourselves, that you would do it in others. And I pray that you'd help us to trust you to do that. I pray that we would even help us to know that we would trust you to give us the wisdom, the boldness, the strength to even preach and give the words of the gospel. And that we would not go by our own strength, not with our own power, but with your strength and your power, God. Forgive us, O oh God, like we, we said in the start, we've often not done this at the best. I think many of us have erred away from even sharing the gospel. And some of us, maybe we've been faithful in sharing the gospel, but we've erred in being frustrated with the people we've shared the gospel with, and we've tried to use other means so that they can change. But O oh God, help us to trust you, knowing that your timings are best, knowing that you are sovereign, that you change hearts of people, but at the same time not being passive where you ask us to go. And so I pray that you forgive us that we sin oftenly in these two extremes. Help us to be faithful stewards of your word. I pray that as we go back this week, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the good news of the truth of the gospel with people. I pray that you would... Help us to have conversations with our friends and our families and people who do not know you at our workplaces who would ask us things about you. Help us not to push it away, 
Or help us not to just simply throw the gospel at them, but help us to faithfully tell them the truths of your word. Help us also know, God, that we are here to make disciples as a church, and therefore which means also to be discipled and to help us to do that, to make disciples and be disciples of one another. All Lord, so that not that we might become a big church, not that we might make a name for ourselves, but your name may be glorified and the increase of your government would grow, Lord, and that your church would grow. And so we will pray, God, that you would build your church. In Jesus' name, amen.